Good morning. I wasn't quite sure until maybe really this morning when I got up what I was going to talk about today. I usually talk about things that I've been um, chewing on a bit, you know, because I have ideas about them and I'm trying to um, really um, get to the essence of why I'm either obsessing or um, re resistant to something. Um, so that's where, that's the way my mind um, turns. What came up for me is I was at a retreat a couple of weeks ago with a woman about my age. Um, and we were talking about, well, we talked about lots of things, but it revolved around how um, women are seen or represented or um, recorded in Zen. Um, and she mentioned to me that there's a version of the 10 ox herding pictures somewhere um, that where instead of a young boy chasing the ox, it's a girl. And that brought up a vision in my brain, lots of ideas. Um, but that really wasn't the, the point, <laughs> the point of all of it. And then it brought me back squarely to the Oxherding uh, poems and, and, and pictures again. Um, many, many, many years ago when I first started or found an interest in Zen, you know, it's around my college years, you know, decades ago now. Um, the ox herding pictures were one of the, was one of the, um, the, the sort of visuals that I had around Zen. They're very old. They, I think, predate Zen by some time. They kind of, uh, they've been around a long time, and they're kind of, um, in, in my mind anyway, um, associated with Renzai Zen a lot, rather than Soto Zen. Um, though lots of uh, Soto Zen teachers, you know, just like the gate was gate and all those um, documents and, and, and uh, things are also a part of Soto Zen, though they might not be talked about as frequently as Dogen. But anyway, um, this train of thought or this churning kind of led me back to a, an essay from a long time ago, like two, the early 2000, well, I wrote it down, wait a minute, by Martine Batchelor and Lyons Rohr. And it was in the spring 2000, 
um, issue of Lion's Roar. It's a long time ago. And I remember being impressed by this article. I had this little, um, until I moved and all my stuff got, <laughs> I don't know, there somewhere. Um, I had this booklet of, or, or you know, um, book notebook of articles and things, you know, just kind of uh, random stuff that touched me in some way. And I had this article in that booklet, in that uh, notebook, but couldn't find it, so I had to go online and find it. And I reread the article. I don't know if I have to explain the Oxfording pictures, but there are a series of uh, pictures and poems depicting the um, sort of uh, sort of outlining the movement that we go through in practice. You know, it begins with um, a young boy searching for something. He doesn't know what it looks like, really. He's just out there searching because he knows there's something. There's something more. And then he gets a glimpse of the beast, of the ox. And in my mind, somehow, it says he decides that's what he's looking for because it doesn't have to be an ox. It could be just about anything, couldn't it? And the, I love the picture because in the version that I recall, um, it's the backside of the ox peeking out from behind a tree that he notices first. And then there's the whole series of him tracking the ox, capturing the ox, trying to um, tame it and keep it in line finally taming it uh, to the point where he can just pull it up, he can just hold it on, onto the um, rope um, with ease, finally getting to the point where he and the ox trust each other enough that he can ride the ox home. And then at some point he gets home and the ox disappears because the ox is not, is not the point. Yeah. And at some point, um, through further practice, because of course the ox is the practice, it's our way of, it's our um, uh, sort of concept of practice. Uh, it gets to the point where the practice as a separate sort of um, endeavor disappears as well. You get to the source. You get to the point of, uh, of this, which is um, the true opening of your heart and mind. And in that picture, the picture of an Enzo. And then in the end, um, skipping to the end, it comes to a picture of an elderly monk 
joyous laughing, uh, a little disheveled in the picture that I remember. Um, returning to the marketplace, it says. You know, the, the ox herding tale is not a linear sort of thing. And in Bachelor's um, uh, essay, she points this out, that it's uh, a spiral. Um, for some of us, it's a squiggly path. And some of us, it's a big old knot <laughs> or lots of knots going all, you know, in all different directions, but always coming, you know. At some point in our practice, um, we get to the point where we have found and sort of tamed the ox, tamed the mind, um, tamed our, brought our discipline into play, and we sit every day, and we work at it, you know, that's sort of the very beginning of it almost. And then there are points where we get to where the ox fades away and we're just sitting. And it's just what it is. And maybe not so often, emptiness um, and the understanding of emptiness or some understanding of emptiness um, comes to play and we're there. And at some point, um, the bodhisattva arises in all of us and we return to the world um, with our Buddha nature um, flourishing in joy and in hope and hoping to bring some peace to the world um, through our uh, effort at being Buddhas. I kind of want to, because this is where my mind is, focus on that last picture. I can remember in, when I first started practicing, kind of didn't like that picture, you know. The picture of the disheveled monk grinning, fat and happy, you know. It's a really a hote sort of figure there um, in the picture that I'm recalling. I'm sorry I don't have any visuals for you. I'm, I'm not that kind of speaker, <laughs> just not that kind of professional speaker. But in the picture, it's a, he's got his staff, he's got his robes wrapped around his shoulder. Um, he's carrying a big bag, big bulky, lumpy bag. No telling what's in there. Um, and he's returning to the world. As a monastic, you know, we, uh, when, when, uh, when in this culture, I guess, when we think of monastics, it's thought of as someone who removes themselves from the world, who is not a part of the 
um, not a part of the dance, really, of whatever culture or life, you know, is around us. We're sitting up on some mountain somewhere, you know, forever and ever, you know, making our tea. That's useless. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of, of, of Shohaku Okamura always says, Zazen is for nothing. Zazen is good for nothing. But what Zazen brings us to is not just to be fat and happy in the world, but to be the source of joy in the world. Not because we're so good and wonderful and smart and wise and all that kind of stuff, but because all of this ego and delusion has dropped away so that we can truly see what's in front of us and truly respond to it with the joy and with the intent of bringing more joy and releasing suffering in ourselves and others, the bodhisattva. In that picture, the bodhisattva is not the beautiful kanon, graceful robes, lovely crown, 50 heads and hands, you know, graceful and beautiful and godly. In it, it's junky Santa Claus, you know, with his beads hanging around his neck, probably as sweaty as I am, you know, uh, walking through the dusty marketplace with his big bag. When I first read this article and when I first, you know, started practicing way back in the 90s, you know, it was much simpler. My brain made it much simpler because, you know, that's all I can handle really anyway. You go and you do zazen and you sit and Something happens or something doesn't happen, <laughs> and that's it. And you come back next week and you do it again. It's been, like I said, decades. You know, when this article came out, you know, for Martine Bachelor, what did I say? It was 2000? Yeah, we just finished partying like it's 1999. That's how long, far away it's been, you know. So it was a long time, and it was a, a long, I was a different person then, you know. Not really, but I was, there were other conditions um, happening around me. Um, there were other concerns that I can't even remember now that were contorting my life 
other delusions that were um, carrying on at that time. And here I am again, still sitting, still sitting zazen, and something happens or something doesn't happen. And I can't, still can't put myself into those pictures so well. Though I've, there's some real desire to plant myself somewhere on that on that spectrum of of ox herding, because that's what the brain does. So somewhere in in me, I don't know, I came to focus on this last this last picture. Bachelor says, I wrote down her, her, uh, her quote here. And she's talking about the, the last stage, returning to the marketplace. I'm sorry. This last stage represents freedom, wisdom, and compassion. We adapt freely to the highs and low, high and low places. We find spirituality everywhere. Meditation and realization do not make passive, make us passive, but active. We are deeply connected to the world. We feel its suffering, and we want to respond and help. And I remember that captured me, too, even though I didn't like the picture. It captured me, too, at that time. It captures again. Um, because my brain is grasping, as always, hoping and wanting something from this good-for-nothing practice to be at a point somewhere where compassion is is effortless, where freedom is just all open, where I'm not tossed and turned and triggered and pushed by my brain wanting things to be the way I want them to be. I want that big bag, and something tells me that this is true, as lumpy and big as that bag he's carrying in the picture is, it's full of nothing. It's just full of nothing. I want to empty my bag in the marketplace um, And hopefully, some part of all I've accumulated is of use to somewhere, to someone.
We spend a lot of time doing this. And to say that we spend a lot of time doing this and it's not, you know, not judgmental or anything like that. It's not anything, you know, but those of us who come to this practice, we set aside a lot of time to practice, to try to tame our brains, to try to bring some kind of um, ourselves into some kind of alignment with the universe and emptiness, um, to try to find the source, um, our true Buddha, Buddha nature, not even knowing what it looks like, really. Um, sometimes struggling to let go of the forms and uh, practices and things that um, we come to lean on, you know, to keep our minds and tamed and in line with what, in line. To make it not hurt so much, you know. But also, that breaking open part where we're sitting in that hut alone, you know, and the tea's run out. And everything breaks down. And that big old nothing is right in front, front and center, right here. Big old nothing. And then with that realization, partial most likely, glimpsed, really. Um, we try to walk through the world and, and engage our families and friends and politics and the airport. Engage all these things from that experience of finding and hurting the ox. I still don't think I really grasp this story. And that grasping word that I just said is part of the problem. <laughs> wanting to understand, wanting to have something concrete instead of just, you know, hanging my robe on and going on out there and doing the best I can, which is all that's asked. So I encourage you to Look at those, yeah. 
for I think a lot of Westerners, those, those stories from long ago um, seem quaint, maybe, full of um, sort of fairy tale-ness, full of magic. And they are, because we are. And I'm not saying that in some kind of Harry Potter, Tinkerbell way, please <laughs> do not misunderstand me. Um, but it's just the knocks. And we're, you know, just ox herders, little boys and girls trying to find the way. So I encourage you, you know, sometimes it's great to go back to 1999. Just look for a minute at review for a minute what you saw then, what you thought it meant then, and bring it into now and see what you think now because this is the spiral that we're on that is practice what did I miss what am I still missing what am I making up What am I clinging on to? What am I trying, still trying to, you know, grasp? So that's kind of what I've been thinking about <laughs> lately. There's some other things. Um, that that uh, essay by our team bachelor is still out there on online, easy to get. And I'm sure there are other books that um, that feature them. And they're all ver there's lots of versions of the Oxfordian pictures. Very beautiful. Very simple. Those pictures. May our intention equally penetrate every... Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.